Good morning, Brookside. That is a great song. Thank you, guys. Well, I hope that you're having a a great weekend. And um, yeah, I just wanted to say, if you're a guest here with us today, I I know it's already been said, but we just want to welcome you here today and uh, just tell you it's great to have you here. And and, uh, thanks for coming and and worshiping with us. And my prayer this week really has been that God would just touch each one of our lives, um, wherever we're at today. Maybe you come and you're having a great week or or maybe life's challenging right now, frankly. And um, but I've uh, just been asking, Lord, would you just do something special in our, in our midst here today? Well, as, as Rob said, we're uh, in a new series, starting a new series this morning. It's called Jesus Strong, Secure. And, and in this series, what we're going to be doing is looking at the final hours of, of Jesus' life. Um, the hours that would lead up to his um, approach to the cross. The, the hours that would lead up to his death and ultimately his, his victorious resurrection. And during that period of time, what we're going to find and what we'll focus on each week is that that Jesus made some very profound statements. He, he made some statements that you just look at and you go, wow, there's, there's a lot of depth to that. So much depth that we're going to take the next eight weeks to unpack those different statements. You know, you may have um, been close to someone at, at some point in, in your life and, and that person was towards the end of their life. And you might remember that you maybe paid more attention to what they were saying as they neared the end of their life. And you also might remember that the words that they spoke seemed to land with a lot more force, with a lot more power. This morning, we're very fortunate to be able to look and over the course of these next weeks to be able to see some of these statements that Jesus made that were, that were so powerful, they were profound. Before we dive in this morning, I want to ask you, would you pray with me? And, and let's do this. Let's just go to the Lord and, and not only pray for this morning, but let's think even further out. Let's think over the course of these next eight weeks, Lord, Let's ask him, Lord, would you do something in us that's completely maybe unexpected? Um, Lord, would you touch us? Maybe you would even pray this. Lord, would you do something God-sized in me today? Lord, we didn't just come just for a normal morning. Lord, we want a God-sized encounter today. And so let's do this. Let's approach the Lord together in prayer and, and um, let's ask him that. So would you, would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning and um, just as we were singing that last, last song even, Lord, I was just reminded it's such a privilege um, it's a privilege, Lord, to worship you. It's a privilege to, to, to be in a church like this. And I, I just want to thank you for that. We want to thank you for that. And Lord, this morning we want to press into you. Lord, we're a group of people that we want to passionately seek you. And Lord, this morning we're just asking that you would do something significant in us. Lord, would you remind us of who you are? Lord, would you remind us of your love for us? I think of what the Apostle Paul prayed over the Ephesian church. He He prayed that they would grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And Lord, I pray that that would be true this morning. I pray that we would be able to grasp that. And so would you even just individually now, would you just just say a prayer to the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm, I'm expecting much this morning. I want to seek you and I want to find you. Would you have a prayer, something like that for yourself this morning? Go ahead right now and just do that. Lord, I'm expecting much. Lord, I want you. Go ahead. Lord, that's our prayer. And Lord, we thank you that you're faithful. Lord, that you're good. So this morning we say we trust you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in our passage today, what we're going to see is... um, a very up-close and, and very personal interaction that Jesus had with his disciples. Uh, it was one of those interactions, though, that wasn't quite normal. It was one that would have really rattled them, really rattled them to the core. 
But in order for us to really grasp the magnitude of, of what's happening in our text in that specific instance when Jesus is playing the role as a teacher and as a, a mentor and as a leader to these men, I think first in order to understand that, we've got to step back a little bit today. We've got to first get a, a, a little bit more of a, a big picture view. And I think when we do that, we'll go to our text today and we'll have a, a completely different outlook as we approach the text. And so I want to, I want to go clear back to the beginning to help us frame our perspective and Um, And then we'll go into John chapter 13. I want to take you clear to the beginning though. John chapter 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word. And and it's talking about, it's referring to Jesus. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then look at this with me. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17. It says, He, and again, it's speaking of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. Again, speaking of Jesus, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created by him and, get this, for him. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. By Jesus all things were created. Uh, Things in heaven, things on earth, he's before all things. In him it says that all things hold together. Get this, the vastness of God's creation, it's beyond our understanding, isn't it? I think you would agree with me, you've experienced this before. He holds it together, he's the reason for it, he put it into motion, he's before even creation. We've experienced this on a clear night, you can look up into the sky and and you can see amazing things. I mean, you can look up into the sky and you just go, wow, it's beautiful, Or, or think of a sunset. You know, you get a, wow, you're just driving home or whatever. My kids love this. Look at the sunset. I mean, it's just, it's a picture of God and you just stand back and you can't help but to be in awe of, of, of our creator. And then think about this for a second. Think about what you can't see. Think about the galaxies and galaxies that exist that would really blow our minds if we could actually grasp their greatness. God's creation is amazing. Our four-year-old daughter, Ashlyn, our middle child, She's been wanting to have a dog for quite some time now. And she asks us every day. I mean, she burdens us. She gets grounded for asking too much. She wants a dog. I mean, if we had a dog, life would be so much better, you know. And so we, we broke down and we caved. And we went to the pet store on Monday. And um, we got in the car and we came home with a fish bowl and two fish. Yeah, we're all in. We are fully committed, right? Now, even this, though, even looking at just the intricacies of these little fish, these little beta fish, I mean, you just go, I mean, I looked at it, we're changing the water, all that. I'm like, wow. I mean, just even this little fish, it's amazing. You look at God's creation, you go, it's amazing. But to put this in perspective, think about this. Our creator chose to exist among us. I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of his creation, earth is like a little dot on the map, yet he chose to enter into it. It's amazing. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, the word, talking about Jesus, creator God, it says that he became flesh. And what did he do? He made his dwelling among us, uh, with us, you could say. He was born into this world and he, he chose to live in, in our midst, in the beauty of his creation Yet in the midst of the brokenness of all humanity, what you and I know to be true, he didn't walk away from his creation. No, he entered into it. He was hands-on. He entered into it. 
So that we, why did he do it? He did it so that we might live lives that we would look back and we would go, wow, I can't believe that God had that for me. I can't believe that that that's what God wanted me to learn. I can't believe that that's the kind of person that God longed for me to be. I mean, that alone that God would choose to enter in, it's it's amazing news. In our text in John chapter 13 this morning, we're going to look at the first 17 verses. And in the context of this narrative, Jesus not only demonstrates his humility, but in a very teachable moment with his disciples, he's got their attention. I mean, he's got their full attention. And it would have been to them almost like a, like a slap in the face. It was such, a, such an abrupt teaching that he gave them. Let me ask you a, a question. Have you ever been in a situation and you thought to yourself, I just learned a lesson that I'll never forget? You ever had that happen, something, an experience in your life, and, and you thought to yourself, you know what, I, I'll never forget this one. This one is seared into my memory. I'm not going to lose this one. I just learned a lesson. Remember when I was 16, I was the cause of a three-car pileup. Pretty serious car accident. A couple people went to the hospital. Now, I learned more in the, in the couple hours of that car accident about driving than I had any class before that, right? It was seared into my memory. After what would have undoubtedly been an unforgettable teaching experience, Jesus drops a line. Jesus drops a teaching that would have been to them like, whoa, okay, that's the lesson. I I, I get that. It was a defining statement. It's where we get our main point this morning. Jesus said, I have set you an example. And that example from where we get our main point, what Jesus was trying to say to them, what he was saying is, I want you to learn from me. I want you to, to glean from my example. And, and here's the example. You could just put it into three small words. When you think about other people, disciples, when Brookside Church, when you go about your life, here it is. You, three words, you before me. In dramatic fashion, Jesus was seeking to instill a mindset into his followers that when they saw other people, that when they saw opportunities, that when they had an opportunity to take power, that they would relinquish it. That when they had an opportunity to demand, they wouldn't demand. They would support. He wanted them. He wants us to be the type of people that we would be quick to say, you before me. You before me. As a pastor, um, you get to see um, the personal side of a a lot of people's lives through counseling or through just interactions. And um, if there's one thing that stands out, if there's one thing that stands out when you're in, in the midst of talking with someone and, and you, you, you would be able to, to say of that person, you would say, wow, the relationships in their life, they're not just good, they're, they're great. I mean, they don't have just a good marriage, they have, whoa, they, they have a great marriage. There's one thing that's true about these types, at least what I've experienced. It seems as though they've always had sort of a breakthrough moment in their life. They've had that moment when they've said to themselves, okay, I'm, I'm going to take second place. They've had that moment when they've said, I'm, I'm going to embrace the mindset, you are before me. You know, you might be here today, and this is what I really hope that you'll be able to glean from this text. You might be here today and you would say, you know, I've got some good relationships. Or you might say, you know what, I'm struggling with some people in my life. My marriage is on the rocks. I hope that you'll be able to leave here this morning, you'll be able to take these words from Jesus and you'll be able to apply this to your life because it's, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Let me ask you just a, a very personal question. 
Do you ever struggle putting the needs of other people before yourself? Do you ever find it hard to serve other people? Do you, do you ever ha- find it maybe like a burden to serve others? You'd say, oh, and I think about that, this is difficult. Oh, I, I, I can understand that. There are certain things that actually that I, I don't mind doing, right? I, I don't mind mowing the lawn, like it. Got a new mower last year, pretty excited to get it out again, right? I, I don't mind washing the cars. I don't mind taking care of the snow, especially this winter, you know? But there are other things that I just look at and I go, I, I don't really want to do that. I really don't want to be a part of that. I, I wish someone else could just take care of that. You ever have those things? Think about washing dishes at the office, the office sink, you know? No one's really in charge of those dishes, are they, right? Think about folding the laundry at home. That's not, not any fun, is it? I remember working at Hy-Vee in high school and you know the, the rotisserie chickens that you can buy? Those big old things, you get them at Sam's Club, right? Big machines cooking a lot of chickens all at once, cruising around there. Well, at the bottom of those things is, is this big tray that collects all the grease. And I remember working at this uh, specialty meat department and, and being the guy that got to close lots of times. You had to take out the tray and you had to get all the grease to one corner and then to get it to drain into a bucket. And that was just the easy part. That was okay. And then you pulled out the tray and washed it. But the part that no one really liked to do was this. It was to take the grease out to the grease dumpster. Have you ever seen a grease dumpster? It's a normal dumpster. But it's 10 trillion times grosser than any other dumpster in the world. Nobody wanted this job. You just, you open the lid and in the heat of the summer, you just prayed, oh Lord, let it not splash. Let it not splash today, right? It was horrible. Any jobs like that, you just go, I don't want to do that. Students, any jobs in your home right now? Anything at home that's just not getting done because it's just, you don't want to do it? Can you relate to that? I think we all can. Let's look at this passage, John chapter 13, verse 1. Know this before we jump into it. This is a transitional passage. In the first 12 chapters of the book of John's gospel, he's, Jesus is teaching to the general populace. Jesus is teaching to the masses and and that's why he's, he's proclaiming the gospel and, and what's happening is he's, re, he's receiving some criticism from that. He's gotten into some controversy. But when we get to chapter 13, it's as though the text takes a turn. And Jesus now focuses not outwardly on his teaching, but he focuses inwardly. And he begins to teach and to pour into his disciples, into his followers. And he's giving them some statements that are profound, that were life-changing. Verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast... Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Notice that it says there it was just before the, the Passover feast. That's, that's significant. The Passover was one of the, the most celebrated days, one of the most days that they, they set aside. It was a big, big deal. And on that day, an unblemished animal was sacrificed to represent the covering of their sins. And this is why this was so significant to Jesus. Do you remember when John the Baptist, he was baptizing people in the Jordan River and, and the text says that all of a sudden he looks up and he sees someone coming and he says, he, he says look, and, and then he doesn't say, it's Jesus. No, no, no. He chose his words very, very wisely. He says, look, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. Now think about that for a second. Think about that as it relates to Passover. Think about that as it relates to the timing of this text. Jesus is about to go to the cross. 
The celebration of Passover is about to take on a whole new meaning as Jesus, the Son of God, was about to step in as the Lamb of God. The sacrifice, that would be the last sacrifice. There would be no more need for sacrifice. It says that Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world. So Jesus wasn't, he wasn't clueless. He, he knew. He could see the timeline. He, he knew. Now take note too that Jesus wasn't about to show them. He's not about just to show us like a simple random act of kindness. Not at all. No, no, no. Jesus, he was motivated by his love. And it, the text says that he showed them the full extent of his love. Not just a portion, but everything. I'm going to show you the full extent of my love. Imagine if someone came to you and they said, someone that, that you know and someone that, that you know they love you. And they came to you and they said, you know, I, man, we've been doing life together a long time and you know I love you and I care about you. But today, today, I'm going to show you the full extent of my love. You'd be all ears. I mean, this, it's a big deal about what he's about to do. It's no small thing. Huge insignificance. Verse 2. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And you know this, Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 silver coins. He turned him over to the high priests and they handed Jesus over. But there was something else that you should know also before we get too far in that was happening in this, this text. You should know that there was a fight that's broken out amongst the disciples right here at the dinner table. They're arguing over who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who's going to have the most power? Which disciple? Who's it going to be? It's going to be Matthew. And they're, they're going back and forth. Who's going to have the most power? They're thinking Jesus is going to go overthrow the government. And, and, and under his leadership, who's going to have the most power? And in response to them, Jesus says, you know, there are people like, who are doing kind of what you are maybe seeking to do here. There are people that abuse power. There are people that lord it over other people. And then he says, but you are not to be like that, Luke 22. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. And Jesus then, he goes on to illustrate it. And, and you can just imagine this. Imagine that you're at a nice restaurant with someone and you've taken a, a guest, someone that you care about, and, and you've taken them to a nice place to have a nice meal. And, and you eat together and it's great. And and then you leave, you leave the restaurant, and after you're gone, there's a, a little, little boy that's kind of in the back room, and he sees that you're gone, and so he comes out, and he's, he's the bus boy. And he comes out, and he starts cleaning off the, the plates and, you know, picking up the dirty napkins that fell on the floor. Jesus poses the question, who is greater, the one at the table or the bus boy? Jesus says, Luke 22, I am among you as one who serves. The word that Jesus uses there for serves, it, allude, it alludes to the most menial, the, the humblest of all servants. Jesus is saying, I am among you as the busboy. That's it. That's who I am. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now imagine this, all the power that Jesus wants is at his disposal. He could do literally anything that he wants to do at this particular moment. Anything is in his reach. I think I would have written this a little bit differently, this part of the story. I think I would have said something like this for verse, verse 3. Jesus got up from the table and 
He gave a strong command and he said, finally, you guys will listen to me better. Jesus got up from the table. Maybe I would have written it like this. And he got up from the table and he said, you hear my commandments. Now you will be forced to follow them. Finally, I can do anything. Jesus got up from the table and he said, do you know who's in charge? Do you really know? That's not what he said. Not even close. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put what all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to him. Verse 4, so what did he do? He got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist, taking off his outer clothing. I mean, this was, his appearance at this point would have resembled that of the lowest servant or slave. Remember now, what's our perspective this morning? It's creator God. It's earth is like a dot in the midst of these galaxies upon galaxies, right? What does he do? Takes off his outer clothing on earth, living among us in the form of a servant. Verse 5, after that he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now at this point, one of the disciples should have jumped up. They should have stepped forward. They should have addressed the elephant in the room. They should have said, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus, I see what you're about to do. Uh, I got it. Smelly feet, we know. We'll take care of it. But they didn't. They remained, they remained silent. They waited for someone else to act. Have you ever done that before? I have. You just kind of sit back and you go, I hope they take care of that. It's not my job. Not my job. Not in the description. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You ever done that before? I have. Two different things are happening here. On the one hand, Jesus is about to do something that's unthinkably humble. But on the other hand, he's openly rebuking his disciples. He is slapping the face of the pride that's in their life. Pride says, I don't need to do that. That's your job. I don't need to apologize. I'm right, after all. Jesus' perspective, though, his perspective on power and influence and leadership, it was completely upside down. Look with me at verse 6. And by this time, though, let me just mention this first. By this time, Jesus has probably washed some, some feet, right? And he's about to get to Peter. And I bet you, though, in that room, you could hear a pin drop in that place. Just try to imagine the scene. Try to imagine what this, what this must have looked like. Let, let me show you just a, one artist's rendering of this. But try to imagine it in, in your own mind. What do you think this would have looked like? What do you think? Well, there he is, shirt off. What is he looking like? The lowest of all servants. Quietness in the room. I bet you could have heard a pin drop. And then he gets to Peter. And when he gets to Peter, there's some drama that takes place. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He's thinking, you can't do that. I can't receive that. I mean, you can wash Matthew's. <laughs> they really stink. You can wash John's. John needs a bath. You can take care of these guys. But Jesus, no, no, no. They're, they're in a position where it's okay for you to take care of them, but not me. Not me. Verse 7. Jesus replied, you do not realize, Peter, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Later they'll understand, Jesus, that he came to serve, not to be served. He came to die so that we might live. But after his cross, after the cross and after his resurrection, they're going to understand. They're going to understand that mindset that Jesus lived, you before me. It was that mindset that drove him to the cross, you before me. Verse 8. Peter's response, no, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. This is the second time in which 
in which Peter has stepped forward very impulsively and he said of Jesus, no, 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 he's corrected him very impulsively. In the original text, there's a double negative that's used here. The tone that Peter's using is so passionate. He's saying, never, you can't do this for me. But Jesus says, unless I do, you have no part with me. Now this is a, this is a defining moment in the text. Uh, this point right here in the text might be the reason really that God has you even here today. Because the struggle that Peter's having at this point, it's, it's not one of humility. Peter's been humbled. And Peter's not really, he's not really confused by what's happening. But, but, but the thing that the hang up for Peter is this. Jesus is wanting to wash his feet. The hang up for, for Peter is he doesn't want to accept the humility of Jesus. Jesus is modeling a picture of the reality of what it means when Jesus went to the cross. He's modeling it. He's foreshadowing it, you could say. I mean, think about this. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, what you are acknowledging is this, is that Jesus put himself in such a low position that he was willing to die for you. And this, and in this in, it's just such an important piece here in the story because you know this, when you accept Christ, what you have to do is you have to lower yourself. You have to say, you know what, not by works of righteousness, Titus. Not by works of righteousness, no. But because of his mercy am I saved. I gotta ask you this morning, are, are you like Peter and you're like, no, no, I can't do that. I, I can't acknowledge that. Or this morning would you say, yeah, I am like Peter, but I wanna be in a place where I say, yeah, I, you're right. Left to myself, left to my sin. I'm in trouble apart from God, but I need him. I need God. Are, are, you, are you in that place? The scriptures say, not by works of righteousness do we attain right relationship with God, but it's because of his it's because of his mercy. Look at the second half of verse eight. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Verse nine. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, and, and I just, I love this. Peter says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter's saying, hey, wash all of me, Lord. Here's why. If, if that means closeness with you, that's, that's what I want more than anything Unless I wash you, Jesus says, you have no part with me. Know this, Peter's number one desire was, I want to be close to God. I want to be close to Jesus Christ. I want all of him. Lord, wash all of me. Verse 10, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet and his whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. He, he, he knows. He's, he's referring to, to Judas there. Look at verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, and, and if the magnitude of this passage hasn't quite hit you yet, I encourage you to go home today and get down on your hands and knees and just do work or whatever you need to do for like just 10 minutes. And then think about this. In order to wash 12 people's feet, I'm just estimating, I'm just guessing but I'm thinking Jesus was probably on his knees. This went on for 40, 50, 60 minutes. When he had finished washing their feet, he, he, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And, and you, can just met, you can just bet at this moment there was awkward silence in the room. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Think about this. If, if the creator God, if, if, he was, if he was willing to serve... I, I'm just convicted by that and I just go, oh, how much more should I be the type of person that my mindset is you before me? And then he goes on and I love this. He explains it. 
There's no mystery left. Jesus is such a, such a great teacher. Verse 12 or verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord and, and rightly so for that is, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And then here it is, this profound statement. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What's the lesson again? Lord, help us with this. You before me. Your needs before mine. Her needs before my needs. Oh, Lord, help us with that. Verse 16, he goes on. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. No servant dares to regard any task as beneath him if his master has performed it. That's how you could understand that verse. And then Jesus says, and you know what? If you do these things, what will happen to you? You will be blessed if you do them. Here's what I know about our church. Our church is filled with people that want to passionately pursue Jesus Christ. And Jesus is modeling for us this morning, hey, if you follow my example, you before me, what will happen to you? You'll be blessed if you do these things. Two ways I think that this plays out. First, when we serve, when we, when we imitate Christ and we become like him, it, it honors not only Jesus Christ, but also it does something inside of us. It's why when you come up to people and you thank them for serving, lots of times people will say this. I love it. They'll, they'll say like, they look at you like you're kind of like, why are you thanking me? And then they'll say, I just love it. I wouldn't want to do anything else. Here's the deal. They're, they're serving with this mindset. You before me. And, and what does it do? It does something for them. And secondly, when we live with this mindset in, in the midst of busy schedules and busy lives, when we live with the mindset that says you before me, know this, you will have eternal impact. Your life, it'll leave a legacy. People will say of you one day, I, I was impacted by her. There was, man, he, that time that he invested, that thing that he did, that smile, that, I was impacted by that place, by those people. There's a lady in our neighborhood that, Every Friday, garbage day, you know, I come home and, and our cans have not blown down the street. Our cans are sitting nice and tidy right up by the house, both of them. And it's, it's an elderly lady in our neighborhood that she's out walking. And I, I said to her the other day, I said, hey, Jackie, thank you for, for bringing up our cans all the time. I, I mean, it took me forever just to figure out that it's you. Thank you. Why do you do that? And she said, oh, I just, I just want to do my part. She said, actually, I love it, right? I love it. When you and I follow the example of Christ, what does it do? It does something for us, but also it's, it's eternally impacting and, and even better, it's, it's glorifying to God. Just a word to the guys here, the husbands, the fathers. I think we need to lead on this one. I think we need to humbly say in our homes, you before me. You before me. God, help me be that kind of leader. Her needs before mine. Their needs before my needs. And we demonstrate that. I think there's, it's a, that's attractive leadership. You know, I was meeting with a guy last week, and, and I would say of this guy that he's got a, like the, one of those breakthrough, he's had a breakthrough moment in his marriage. He's a guy that I look at him, I just go, wow, things are going, going great. And then I look at, he runs a small business, and, and I see how his employees treat him, and, I, and this and that, and been in his office a couple times, and, and I just go, wow, this guy's had a, a breakthrough moment. And, and here's what he said to me. He said, about 10 years ago, I came home and I, I said to my wife, I said, you will never need to clean another toilet in this house, ever. Now here's what happened to this guy. He had a breakthrough moment where he realized, and he said this to me, life is not about me. 
He said, I tell my employees that all the time. Leadership around here, it's about serving. You before me. Students, I think one of the ways that you can do this is you give your best. I mean, students, what would your parents say about you? Are you that kind of person? Do you want to have influence? That's the way to have influence. That's the way to honor God. Or maybe, you know, you come here today and and your breakthrough moment is accepting Jesus Christ. You know, you're like Peter and and you didn't want Jesus to, to wash your feet, but maybe you've come to that place where you would say, you know what, without Jesus, without the touch of God, I'm in trouble. I am guilty of sin. Maybe today's your breakthrough moment when you say, Jesus, wash me clean. And he will do that. He longs to do that. I think we leave this text today and we stand in awe of God that our creator would come, that he would give us this example. And then I think we leave here and we go, okay, Lord, would you help me to be the type of person that I'm quick to say, you before me. Let's do this together. Let's pray. Let's pray now to that end. Lord, we come to you and um, Lord, we just want to first thank you. We want to thank you for the example of Scripture. We want to thank you that you said those profound words. I have set you an example. And so, Lord, this morning, we're just asking, Lord, would we be the type that we would adopt the mindset, you before me? Lord, would we be the type of people that we would be quick to address the elephant in the room? Would we be the type of people, Lord, that are quick to embrace the humility of our Savior who went to the cross for us? And then I think of those that are here today that don't know you. You know, and if that's you this morning, I just want you to know you can cry out to God and he will will accept you. He will receive you by faith in Jesus Christ. You can have a relationship with God. So Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray for this season. We pray that it be one where we just draw so close to you. We pray in Christ's name, amen.